poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. Energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. Jay Naidu is a South African political and social activist, best known for his role in the fight against apartheid. He's also a former cabinet minister. His philosophy is centered around the concept, the idea of a social compact. In essence, it's based on the principle that all citizens should have access to the same opportunities and resources, regardless of their gender, race or socioeconomic status. He's argued in the past that government should be accountable to its citizens and provide them with the means to better their lives. He also strongly believes that government should invest in the development of their citizens through education, healthcare, and job creation. Naidu also arguing that government should be an active partner in the development of its citizens rather than a passive observer. He's also been a vocal critic of the neoliberal economic system and the effects of economic globalization on developing countries. That's uh, quite a lot to digest. Well, welcome. I'm Jeremy Maggs. And on Fix SA, our guests in coming weeks are going to be asked how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? How in the shortest space of time can we become a competitive and successful nation? Jane, I do a very warm welcome to Fix SA. Let's start with this. The whole concept of the social compact, does it still have currency? Hello, uh, Jeremy, and to your listeners, uh Thank you very much for offering me to talk to you on this platform. I think the social compact idea is a a seed that was planted in post the Second World War, where we recognized that no one section of society was alone able to to build a world of peace. We had to co-create a smart partnership in which we all were able to put on the table what our contribution was. And as long as the sum total of all contributions was greater than the the individual contribution. And so we created a multilateral system that spoke about a world free from want, free from war, and a world in which we celebrated both the individual human rights and also the collective rights we had as a society towards creating a better world, free of war and violence. And we have to, in that context, reflect what we have achieved 75 years later. And I think that the idea of a social compact, but more importantly, the idea of a social consensus is more current today and more urgent today than any other time in human history particularly in the context that we're just coming out of a pandemic, much of the response has been based on fear, on coercion, on a lockdown of economies, on masking. And and I feel that we are more polarized today in the world down to the family unit than we've ever been since that Second World War. And so I think the idea of a social compact, of co-creating a new reality, co-creating a new future, in which we all feel part of is more urgent than Mm. ever before. 
Jane, I do. To what extent then is that polarization that you refer to these competing agendas hindering our ability in South Africa to make real constructive progress? Well, absolutely, it's an obstacle. It's it is we cannot progress beyond people throwing slogans at each other, people speaking past each other, people ridiculing, demonizing, and I fear that we actually have gone backwards to the mid 80s where you know a government that refused to listen environment of deep repression and oppression and violence and i feel that today we almost are seeding that again and all because we are not listening to each other we're not listening with our heart this is what mandela taught us is not enough to just listen with your head listen with your heart so that as a country which is a rich country which is a, a melting pot of north meeting south east meeting west we are the laboratory of managing transition and managing diversity and we have been gifted by the leadership we've had we've been gifted by this constitutional democracy that holds us together and yet we continue to make mistakes because of our arrogance because we refuse to listen to each other and we're getting back to the way that stridency of mm. the debate and of the conflict and the opportunism of that that continues to divide the south african society and i think that the majority of 60 million south africans do not want to go back to the mid 80s we want to go forward to a place where our children are properly educated where the schools are working where the clinics are working where the hospitals are working where we're driving on roads where women feel safe to walk at night where people do the job that we are paying for them you know how many times have we stood in queues and asked ourselves the question that the person serving us seems to think they are doing us a favor rather than doing us a, doing the job if i look at up towards government i look up towards business or civil society or trade unions i don't see the type of human values that bound us together that made us a nation that brought us together to rise above our conflicts that we had in the 80s to create this political miracle that we now seem determined to destroy i do not see that commitment anymore jeremy and the solution jane naidu is predicated on our ability as you rightly say to listen to each other what is preventing that from happening right now i think it's pure arrogance and ego we are living in a time of great falsehoods where people believe that they have the answers for all the challenges we face and yet what happens in that process you continue to exclude the talent the dynamism the energy the participation of people so how we won our freedom germany it wasn't because we had messiahs or because we had nelson mandela or jay naidu or our current president ramaphosa in the trade union movement we won because at a certain point people said i've had enough i've had enough and i refuse to collaborate with what is happening i think we are at this point today and what we should stand up and say to all the political parties say to all the trade unions say to all of uh, those parties that are in the parliament or to business is we've had enough and it's a very simple it's not rocket science to make the school work to fix up our roads to end violence we have institutions we have a huge public service we have 
powerful Chapter 9 institutions. We've created all the checks and balances. The only thing lacking is political will and political commitment. And so I think that rather than looking up for leadership, we should look down. I, that's what I do. I find thousands of people, white and black and Indian and colored, doing things at a local community to help build social cohesion, to deliver the goods to people that feel marginalized, to share skills, to share resources. Jeremy, I think we should go back to the basics. The basics is that I, as an individual, what can I do where I am in my home with people that work for me, uh, in my garden or in my home or look after my children? When I go to work, who are the people working with me? Do I greet the pe person that is making cleaning the floors? Do I recognize the importance and the dignity of their labor? To become more compassionate, Jeremy, why have we lost our compassion? And so, yet we want to celebrate Mandela and hang his photograph in every boardroom. So how do you galvanize then that energy, that cooperation uh, sentiment that you talk about, that social cohesion into something that has more direction? The way I do it is I go into a community or to young people, and first of all, I learn to shut my mouth because they are angry with us and they have legitimate grievances against my generation because we're so arrogant. So I learned to shut my mouth and listen to their pleas, their cries, their grievances, their anger. I let them download and I don't feel offended by it. And I say to them often, you know, I'm afraid we don't have all the time in the world because we are facing an ecological crisis. I take responsibility for the mistakes I've made. If you really want to understand my mistakes, I say to them, Jeremy, you need a few weeks because I made so many mistakes. Mm -hmm. But I cannot tell you all what to do. What I can sh share with you is how not to make the same mistakes. And so that starting point is really important. And it, it's painstaking. It's listening. It's participating. It's breaking bread with people. It's not a going there and like, you know, you sort of arrive in your car and you want to spend one hour, cut a ribbon and then leave. This is not development. It's a painstaking, frustrating work that we have to do. And we do not have people in civil society that do that because they're all so busy writing reporters to some bean counter that is sitting in Tokyo or Seattle or New York, paying them funds that they spend most of the time in meetings with funders rather than people on the ground. We do not have the activism and the volunteerism that we had in our time in the 70s and 80s. And that's a tragedy. And we're also very quick to take offense, aren't we? And we're very quick to take offense. Exactly. Because ego, the ego of falsehood is now dominant in our land, and we have to challenge that. So how do you begin that fix then, Jay Naidu? Where's the starting point here? With yourself. You have to go within yourself, Jeremy. You know, I went in deeply into myself and recognized how little I know. My knowledge is much, much, much less than my ignorance, that my ignorance is far greater than my knowledge. Therefore, I go out and I listen to people. They don't have to be someone who's a scholar or a technologist or has a dozen degrees or a professor. You know, thankfully, my greatest teachers were migrant workers when I was in the union movement. So I have an openness to that. But I'm just saying is that we don't have an openness to just listen to each other. So the first thing is change yourself. 
you know, Gandhi once said, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. You know, Mandela always said, it always seems impossible until it's done. Jeremy, we're not living in the 80s under a repressive apartheid state with the State Security Council. We can have this conversation. So it's not rocket science. The question is, what can I do? Instead of building the notion that we need another big mothership, you know, like a liberation movement or, you know, we don't need that. We need a million small boats. In my small way, you know, how can I play a role in helping the local school? How can I visit the, the orphanage and offer my services? I'm a doctor. Can I go to a community and say, I'm, a, I'm an optometrist or I am a medical doctor and I'll come and spend one weekend uh, a month with you, in a, you know, a Saturday, and mm. <laughs> we look at the overall disease burden. Why can't we do that, Jeremy? I'm not talking about some grand plan. Individually, why can't we all individually do that? If 10% of South Africans stood up and did that, that's 6 million South Africans doing something every day or every week. But Jay, that one, that one step at a time approach that you are advocating is also predicated on a better enabling environment, surely from political leadership, who've got to turn around and one, acknowledge what people are doing, and secondly, act on the frustrations, which doesn't seem to happen. You know, Jeremy, my view is completely the opposite. These political leaders need us more than we need them, because in one year's time, we're going to go to the ballot box. This is the most perfect time to say to those political leaders that want your vote, what are you going to do in my community? My community. It could be Deep Sloot or it could be whatever, Santon or whatever it is, or my village. What are you going to do? Don't come and tell me you're going to give me a free T-shirt and give me a food parcel. Mm. Reject that. So what we need to do is develop a people's manifesto. What is it that we require from a future government. And we need them to do their job. And if they don't do the job, we want them to be fired. We need them accountable. That means all the expenditure of all of government should be public and on the internet so that all of us can have sight of it. We particularly want the expense accounts to be public. Every month you publish, I've spent a million rand. This is who I've entertained, where I've entertained, what I've spent money on. So we build a notion of accountability. So if we have a people's manifesto, so whatever your political party, if you want my vote, you come and knock at my door and you come to my community and you say what you're going to do and tell me what you've done before. And if you don't stay in my community, don't come and ask me for my vote. It's putting in the it's putting in the hard yards once again and actually doing the work and ethic that we seem to have forgotten about in this country. Absolutely, we've forgotten about it. We now take it for granted. What we've done is the most terrible tragedy, Jerry. We have the power that liberated South Africa from apartheid was not leaders. It was people. The energy and participation of people. What have we done? We now have given power to these leaders. And how do they treat us? They treat us with disrespect. They treat us with disdain. And what we see constantly as state capture you know, manifested is that they have no hesitation to say, I did not struggle to be poor, and therefore I have a right to put my hands in the cookie jar. That's what we need to challenge. Jane Idy, you also describe yourself uh, perfectly accurately as an elder when it comes to uh, uh, 
your your position in in South Africa. Yet many of the elders uh, don't seem to be as vocal as you are. What responsibility do they have in terms of the big fix, or do you think many of them have simply packed up their tent, given up, and uh, hidden away? Well, I think you cannot blame people, Jeremy, who have given. You know, particularly the Mandela generation, they gave their lives for us. And, you know, of course, their whole lives revolved around a liberation movement that is today eating the children of the revolution. So at one level, you have a whole lot of people that feel so disappointed, so sad, so embittered by what they have contributed in their lives and what they see happening today. And then you have a lot of people that are doing work behind the scenes as elders. I talk to many of them. And I feel they are doing important things. But we also have many of the veterans that have been completely ignored, marginalized, living in poverty, and people that are astounding leaders that we've thrown onto the, into the rubbish bins. Mm. It's a tragedy out there. So we, I think that at the end of the day, I'm saying is that, yes, I am able to articulate, uh, but there are others that do it. And if you look at the number of elders, you know, I would estimate there are 100, you know, we think we've been counting around 200,000 people who will consider have given 45 years of their life in service. And it's a powerful, powerful category of people in this country. And if a spark is led where they become the spark of an intergenerational conversation, authentic conversation and dialogue, and then cooperation about creating something new, I think we'll have a very different political debate in this country, Jeremy. And it's programs like yours that will help us reach people and empower them, capture their imagination and give them hope. That's what we need today. What, what is needed then to, to cause that spark that you refer to? Everything is communications, Jeremy. You know that. You know, I was 15 years old when I went to listen to Steve Biko. He lit a spark in my heart. It didn't require anything more. All we need is to light a spark and it will become a bushfire. But a bushfire, not destructively, but constructively. One of creating pathways of hope and opportunity. And what businesses should be doing is saying, listen, I have money already allocated to social responsibility. I have money allocated to enterprise development. Let me stop doing this thing where I give it to professional NGOs or I give it to a government so a government minister can come and cut a ribbon. How do I work directly with communities? These elders could play an important role. And I think that today that's what we need. The new social constructs are not global, national, provincial. They're absolutely local, local, local. Let's talk about the role of business then, given that the audience that uh, we're addressing today is comprised mainly of that business community. What further role do they have to play apart from the recalibration that you've just suggested? The sense is that business is very good at talking, but uh, not always good at acting. Now, let's take one of the big tragic points of our history, and that's Marikana. This is a platinum belt. It probably holds the world's largest concentration of platinum. But it's a, it's a social storm there, and Marikana is a manifestation of that. And there's been a conversation started recently with employers there to say, in this environment where you know increasingly mining is a sunset industry, 
where the social dynamics and the social the lack of social cohesion at the community level is having huge impact on the operations that you have at a at an industrial level or mining level and you do not have the capacity or the understanding to manage how to navigate in the local community so how do we work together and ensure that the money that you are legally responsible for spending corporate social responsibility and enterprise development money could be harnessed in such a way that it connects via an entrepreneurial mechanism and there are enough people there that have the skills and expertise to create a operation around new forms of farming where we're able to train people in using the land that the mining houses do not need but have and how do we create that social compact at that local level and bring in people with the skills across the food value chain now i know people that can do training i know people that can help te- teach people about building their own seed banks about training people in regenerative agriculture in building the the sort of hubs that will become the pack houses that become the distribution unit and what we need to do is the mine house itself has to feed 20,000 workers a day so you have a captive market now it's not rocket science to put that together jeremy it just requires the right people to sit around the table and say what are the skills we need to make this food value chain in this local community work and now you can extend that mm. more broadly to to many other aspects so so what 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 prevents that type of thinking from happening because each mining house wants its own you know program it wants its own flag put on something it also is an issue that in many of these mining houses the human resources development and outreach community outreach people are gatekeepers then there's the issue of understanding communities you know no community is homogeneous you know i often say to people that you know you think the ANC NEC is divided well take a community it's like even worse divided than that because there are many more gatekeepers in that community so you have the way of navigating and understanding how to build a consensus you can't just walk into a community it's a, as an experience there's a methodology there there's a way in which you build that you know it's not like you know you arrive there and you say oh i got this money and i want to donate it to you of course everyone will say yes but that ends up in a white elephant project so there's enough people with experience that we can assemble jeremy people like myself are prepared to give our time we don't want to be paid or anything you know we don't want any recognition for it we'll give our experience of how you work with a community but you must have people prepared to listen not youngsters that think they've done an mba and they know everything about organizing you know this is what we've learned is from the university of life Jay Naidu, let me ask you this in theoretical terms. Any process of fixing or repair is by definition going to have obstacles thrown in its way. And when you're talking about a national project like South Africa, those obstacles are going to be formidable. How do you overcome the obstacles that are thrown up without becoming despondent? Well, this is where you've got to start, Jeremy. Start in a local area. you know because all these big vested interests are all focusing their attention at the national level who's controlling the flow of finances who's controlling this sector or this business or this outlet you know you're having gatekeeping done at a national level on a grand scale of larceny so start locally in your local community 
And so usually you don't encounter the same type of political obstruction that you would find at a national level. And this, you know, that's the thing about people that capture interests. You know, they're not interested in the small person. You know, they, they want to concentrate on a big picture, make grand speeches, and then capture more resources than they actually are entitled to. So my view is recommending people who are serious about uh, organizing, about community development, about nation building, about enterprise development, about regenerative farming, start local. There's more than enough people out there that need help. You know, at some point, we're going to have to create this mechanism like we did during the union movement. The union movement didn't appear out of anywhere. It started in with individuals like us taking a decision to step out of our lives and use the privilege we had of education to do something that will be selfless service. So, what so, we need today is volunteerism. I need volunteerism. If I could get 100 volunteers, I could deploy them into the right place. And actually, in, the, in that process, train them to be people that will be entrepreneurial, people that will learn skills, and people that have a common decency because it's based on values. So let's talk then about the momentum of that mechanism that you have just referred to. And again, it's a question that I put to all of our guests on this podcast. The old cliche that you can't manage anything unless you can measure it. So what, in your opinion, would define short-term success in the fixed project in this country? Well, if I take regenerative farming, the short-term success is someone comes there, and says, I want to be a farmer. That means you wake up when the sun wakes up and you go to bed when the sun goes down. My, my son is starting a farming operation. His goal at the end of the day, and he studied for three years on this, working on farms, not studying it in the universe, working on different farms. He gets up with the sun and goes down to bed with the sun, but he's in how he's prepared to do it, he wants to create a farm that becomes the university. The faculty is there in the fields. The trainers are there in the fields. The way in which you pass your test is whether your crops are growing and whether you've got a market for those crops. Now, you can start there, you know, and there's more than enough people now that are able to offer these training opportunities for young people. Okay, maybe they need some, they need, these farmers need to be supported because, you know, they need to cater for these people. We need to build accommodation for them. We need to, you know, find someone that can take care of the, the cooking while they are planting. But there's things we can do immediately, you know. And like I'm saying to you, Jeremy, even if you are sitting in Joburg, well, there's so much need in Joburg. Find someone, an NGO, an orphanage, something, you know. Go and teach in a local school because young kids are not managing today. You know, find a way in which we can take people into nature. Just creating, you know, I remember my wife is from Canada and our kids, when they went there in summer, they were always in summer camps, three, four weeks in a summer camp, learning skills, how to live in a forest, how to swim, how to ride a canoe, exciting things that teaches them skills, but in a sense, tries to readjust them to living in nature. Mm -hmm. We have so much wild nature in this country. How many of our parks are taking the local schools and integrating them into their 
way in which they, they sell tourism. There are months in this country where there are very few tourists because it's deep winter. Why can't we just reserve those periods to teach young people in around every park about nature? This immersion, a week in nature, transforms a person. Two questions as we come to the end of this conversation, Jay Naidu. And the first one is, thank you for being so blunt and so forthright. And your frustration has come across at many different levels. But being an elder being part of the uh, the democratic uh, project and experiment in South Africa, do you retain any degree of optimism? Of course. I mean, it'd be a greatest human tragedy if people like me lost hope. Yes, it would. We cannot lose hope. We need to inspire hope because I don't see failure. I see lessons learned. We have fallen on our face in this country in spite of the best efforts of the generation of Mandela and the selfless sacrifice they made. We've fallen on our face. Get yourselves up by your bootstraps. And that's what I do. I'm a grandfather of three grandsons. I want a better world for them. And I'm prepared to fight for it. Or at least not fight in that sense. I'm prepared to talk about it and support people who want to do the right thing. I think what we need is next generation now. You know, should we have people my age hanging around government, holding on to power, Running, they've run out of ideas. That's why we are leaderless in this country. We've run out of ideas in the current generation. So let's end this. Let's end this conversation then and talk about those three grandchildren. And it's a question we always put uh, to all of our guests. When you talk about the early 2020s and their vital role in continuing to build this country, they're the Batten generation uh, or the Batten holding generation, uh, Jay Naidu. What then is their responsibility in picking it up? Well, first of all, they need some, I'm being very blunt now, I think we need more discipline amongst the younger generation. Because I find today, you know, there's generally almost a superficiality. I want to know about everything, but I got very little depth in anything, you know, and I got the answers for everything because I have Google. You know, I think there's a time when younger people have to sit back and say, we've been beaten down so many times. Look at Africa. Look at the revolution for human dignity in North Africa in 2011 that inspired so many people. The Occupy movements, the indignados, movements, leadership, you know, leaderless movements. I think there's time for a greater degree of humility amongst younger people, that they don't have all the answers. None of us has an answer. No one, none, none of us have a blueprint. So can we get a more intelligent collaboration between o- older generations and younger generations? Can we get a more intelligent collaboration between the, the, the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine? Can we rise above the divisiveness of the past, which is biological, which is gender, sexual orientation, culture, language, race. Can we start to see the oneness of everything that exists, not just us as human beings, but with wild animals, with, with trees, with rivers, with oceans, with mountains, so that all of this is a blessing to us. Life should be an exciting roller coaster because it's a school where we come to learn. So that's how I look at my three grandchildren. I look at them as my wisdom keepers because they teach me insatiable curiosity every day. This life is too beautiful for us to waste in negativity. Can we just learn to live together and learn to 
work together and learn to support each other so that we can create a more compassionate society, a more society based on forgiveness, on reconciliation, on, on healing. We need to heal the wounds that we have. And if you look at the United States, you look at the world, those wounds have gone hundreds and hundreds of years and we're repeating the trauma again and again and again. So until we heal ourselves individually, heal between ourselves and heal between ourselves and everything else that exists on this planet, we will be wounded. We have to treat the wound now. Jay Naidu, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this Fix Essay podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.